last several weeks over at the uh, at what it means to be Jesus' disciple. A disciple is a person who follows someone else. So if you're going to be Jesus' disciple, what does that mean? And then as part of that, what does it mean to make disciples? Uh, the, the Scripture says repeatedly, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, over and over and over again. If that's God's command to us, we better know what that is, what that means, how to do that. And uh, so we've been looking at that. Uh, we are, if, we're gonna, if you're going to tell other people how to follow Jesus, you need to know how to do it, and you need to be able to show other people how to do it. And today we're going to be looking at a huge area of the Christian life, a huge area in which we need to follow Jesus as his disciple. And that is the area of time. So let me just ask you a question here at the beginning. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? Now we've only got one life. It doesn't last very long. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a young mom, you feel like the days last forever. I know. Um, but the reality is, is that our, our years go by fast. I'll be 45 in a few months. Uh, I, I was 25 like last week, okay? I'm sure of it. And I don't know where 45 years went, right? But here's what I know about that. My life, very likely, is well over half done. I mean, maybe I'll be one of those really vigorous folks, make it to 90, maybe a few years after that. But likelihood is, I'm checking out of here on this side of that. And my life is over half done. And some of y'all are nearer to the finish line than I am. Amen? All right, at least I hope so. Um, <laughs> but uh, for my sake, anyway. Um, but the reality is, our life is not long. Our life is not long, however long it is. You don't get that long. So how are you going to spend it? Uh, and Paul gives us some great instruction on this in Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to look at this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17 is what we'll start with, and then we'll pick up from there a little later he says here verse 15 to 17 look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is now these verses come after a long section commanding us to reject and flee from sin and to put on Christ and His character instead. Remember, earlier in chapter 4, we talked, about, we talked about put off the old self with its, uh, with its lusts and its desires, and put on the new self and walk in true righteousness and holiness. Put on Christ, walk in His character, do the things that Jesus did. 
Act the way Jesus acts. Put on his character. And, and the, the point that is being made here in these verses, these verses are kind of a summary and a conclusion to that section. And what they're telling us is, is that sin is not only unwise, but it's foolish. It's foolish to live in sin because sin is deadly and it puts you under God's judgment. Amen? That's part of what, part of what we saw in the last section we looked at. It separates you from Christ. It turns you into a creature of the dark instead of a creature of the light. And on top of that, let me add one more thing that the Scriptures tell us elsewhere, that sin never delivers on what it promises. It never never delivers on what it promises. Uh, it promises life and freedom and joy and power. And what it delivers is death and slavery and despair and weakness. But it looks good on the front end. So don't waste your life on sin. Don't waste your life on this. We don't live that long, and it would be foolish in the extreme to waste any portion of the short time that we have on, on these things that we're told to reject. Instead, you make the best use of your time, because the days are evil, verse 17, uh, verse 16 tells us. So let me explain that last phrase, the days are evil. The idea is this. Uh, in the Bible, there's a contrast between these days, these days that we live in, and that day, okay, the great day when the Lord reigns. In these days, we experience life ruled by Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world, and he is, he is chained, and he is restrained by God, but he is nevertheless the ruler and authority over all of the governments and powers of this world. And these days are evil, but there is that day that is coming. On the great day, Satan will be put down, and the Lord will reign, and that day will begin and then never end. There will not be an end to the reign of Christ when it comes. Amen? And so you would be a fool since these days are temporary and that day is eternal to live for these days as if that day is not coming. Amen? Does that make sense? These days are evil. He's saying, look, remember the days you're living in are temporary and they are short and they are ruled by Satan, but there's going to come a day when the Lord will reign not just from heaven, but on the earth. And so you don't want to house the chaff and burn the grain. You don't do that. That's foolish. Because the day is coming when evil will be put down. And if you're wise, you lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and dust do not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. Now look at verse 17. It says, Don't be foolish, therefore, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now let me just explain that phrase, understand what the will of the Lord is a little bit. 
a lot of times when we encounter, when you know, those of us kind of in modern times encounter a phrase like the will of God or the will of the Lord, we immediately think in terms of day-to-day guidance from God. I want to know what God's will is. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to take this job or that job? Am I supposed to marry this person or that person or, or stay celibate and unmarried? What should I do? What, what, what is God's will for me in these things? And does God care about that? Yes, He does. God cares about all of your decisions. But, but when Paul speaks about the Lord's will in Ephesians... He doesn't have that necessarily in mind, that kind of understanding of God's will in mind. What he has primarily in mind is God's sovereign plan to save people from sin and death and hell and to make out of the people he saved people who are increasingly conformed to the character of his son, Jesus Christ. And so understanding, and as far as the context of the book of Ephesians, understanding what the Lord's will is, is not so much about guidance from God in daily decisions as it is about understanding what God was doing when He saved you. What His purpose for your life is. And, and living in light of that reason why God brought you to Himself in the first place. So the idea is this, is that if God saved you in order to make you like Jesus, then it follows that when we really and truly understand that, that we are striving to do what God wants to do with us. Amen? That if we actually understand God's will for us, then we live in obedience to that will as a result. His will is designed for His good, for for His glory and our good, and so if you spend time foolishly living in sin, what you're doing is it show, is showing that you misunderstand what God's will, what God's purpose for your life really is. God did not save you and me to make us simply safe from going to hell. God does save us and redeems us, and we don't go to hell through the grace and mercy of God, but that is not all He is trying to do with us. He has a purpose and a plan. And His purpose is to conform you and to conform me to the character and shape of Jesus. In fact, earlier in in, uh, chapter 4 it says, that we will, our goal is to grow up to the measure of the stature that belongs to Jesus. You know, kind of the idea is that, you know, like in, we have in our house a, a, a place next to one of the doors in, in, in our house where we've got pencil marks on the wall, right? And uh, the girls have quit lining up to get measured. But the boys, since they're still growing... They're, they're like, you know, every like eighth of an inch they want recorded on the wall, right? I want to see if I'm taller than dad primarily. That's, you know, and they think it's a big deal that, that they're, they, when they get taller than dad, they're like, ha, I passed you. You know, it's like it's a competition. I'm thinking 
the curse is lifted if you are cursed taller than me, right? Because I'm the tallest male horn to ever exist on this planet. <laughs> okay, so, so we, we needed those genes from the snow side. We really did. <laughs> Otherwise, we would be hobbits forever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> short, dumpy, hairy-footed people, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> but... Uh, but the idea is, is that you want to live your life you know, striving to attain, to grow up to the measure of the stature that belongs to Jesus. Our goal is not simply existence, it's maturity in Christ. Uh, the, the pioneer missionary C.T. Studd wrote a, wrote a poem back in the early part of the last century. Uh, he was one of the first missionaries, Western missionaries, into China, and one of the founders of missions into Africa, and the founders of missions into India. And he wrote a poem that the repeated line in it is this: "Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." And so Paul's emphasis here in these verses is: don't be a fool. Don't spend your life on sin when you could have spent it on something so much greater, on so much more valuable. You could have laid up for yourself treasure in heaven and enjoyed it for eternity. Now, the next four verses here, these are great verses. They, they, uh, they explain for us how to live a life where we're not wasting time. So I want to look at these with you. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at verse 18, what you've got is a contrast between alcoholic spirits and the Holy Spirit. In both cases, you are giving something outside of you a measure of control over your life. Now, drunkenness is a sin. It is a sin because when you get drunk, you are engaged in a form of idolatry. All sin, essentially, at its root goes back to prideful idolatry where we have taken something that God made, including whether we're talking about alcohol or we're talking about ourselves, and we're deifying that thing. And we're looking for that thing to give us joy and peace and happiness and meaning in life and all these things. And what you're doing when you get drunk is giving your, your mind and your heart over to a substance instead of over to God. It's idolatry. And you're looking to that substance to do for you the things that only God can do for you. Now, I'll just tell you, I have never been drunk, but I do know this. That people who get drunk, get drunk for a reason. Very often, what they are doing is trying to escape from something. They're lonely or they're angry at people and circumstances beyond their control, 
or they're self-medicating deep pain out of wounds in their past. And when I drink, I forget. And so I feel better for a little while. Some, sometimes people get drunk as a, as a way of having an excuse for doing some other sinful thing that they would feel bad about doing if they weren't drinking. Sometimes that happens. They look for the effect of lowering their inhibitions so that they can feel free to do that which they know they shouldn't. And they don't want to consider themselves really responsible. But whatever the reasons behind it, a Christian should never be drunk. Should never be drunk. We do not look for hope and joy and peace in a bottle of Beaujolais or Jim Beam. Amen? We don't do that. Can you drink? Yes, you can. If you have self-control, and if you are able to drink for the right reason. But if you can't, you do well to not. Because it can easily give over, give, slide over into idolatry. If you can drink without looking to that drink to give you something that only God can do for you, it's okay. But not to get drunk. Me personally, I have if I if I drink and I don't drink often, I have one. One of whatever it is. So I'll have one glass of wine, one beer, one whatever, right? Because I know myself. And I know that it's possible to get into the habit of saying, you know, it's been kind of a ratty day. I think I'll crack open whatever and sit and watch TV for a while and just veg out. And then one becomes two, and then two becomes three. And before you know it, you have gotten yourself in the habit of looking to something outside of God to give you that which only God can give you. Amen? We don't want to do that. We don't want to have our life be controlled by something other than the Lord. And instead of getting filled with alcohol, we're to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain that a little bit. Okay, The, the, the Spirit is described in the Scriptures as having a variety of ministries that He does. And I just want to explain just a few of these. There's, I think, about 30. Um, so I'll just give you just a synopsis of, of a few of these things. According to the Scriptures, when you um, believed in Jesus Christ, you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That, what that means is this, that at the moment that you believed, you were united to Jesus by the Spirit's power. That, that the Holy Spirit worked a miracle in your life and connected you to Jesus for eternity. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as part of that, because you're connected to Jesus, you're also baptized into the body of Christ. As you're connected to Jesus, you're connected also to all of us, to the people who are part of the body of Christ. You are baptized. Part of what we're doing in water baptism is picturing that event happening of the Holy Spirit baptizing you. At that moment, you're also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
meaning that the Spirit takes up residence in your heart, and He will from that point forward never leave you. He will always be with you. So you do not have to pray as an example, you know, Holy Spirit, I would, you know, Father, send your Spirit to be with us. You know, help, uh, you know, help me to, you know, to uh, experience your presence, right? You don't need to pray that. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He is always with you. And the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence can never leave you. And these things cannot change. Your baptism, your indwelling are always true. Always. But the state of being filled with the Spirit does change from moment to moment, according to the Scriptures. It's when you have repented of sin and you are trying to obey God by the Spirit's power, then you are being filled by the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, when you are rebelling against God, then you're doing what Ephesians 4.30 talks about as grieving the Holy Spirit, and you are cutting yourself off from His power to live in a way that pleases God. Okay? So the filling of the Spirit changes relative to your obedience. Your experience of the Spirit's presence in your life does change. The reality of His presence doesn't change. But you're, it's, it's like, this is a bad analogy, but, but it's like plugging a plug into a light socket. The power is always there, but if you are not plugged in, you don't get to run the vacuum, right? Uh, in the same way, the power of the Holy Spirit operates in our lives as we're obedient. And as we're obedient, we experience the Spirit's filling of our heart and our life. And we are enabled to walk in a way that pleases God. And we want to always, to the extent possible, always be filled with the Spirit. We want to walk experiencing the Spirit's power. We want, um, you know, we're not going to become sinless, but we do want to sin less. And we want to have the, the Spirit operate in our hearts and to have the times when we wander off into sin go shorter in duration and less frequent in occurrence. And the times when we live experiencing the filling of the Spirit's power grow longer and more frequent. That's the idea. That as we're increasingly conformed to Christ, that the Spirit's filling occupies more and more and more of our lives. So, you might be asking, well, how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked, because these verses tell us. Okay? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, giving thanks and for always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, when the Holy Spirit fills your heart, He changes the things that come out of your mouth. And instead of the things that we were talking about last week, foolish talk, crude jokes, etc., that a sinful person is filled with, spirit-filled people start worshiping with each other. They start uh, 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs come out of our mouths and we start singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Have you ever had a, a day that's just so joyful that you just start singing? Like maybe, maybe yesterday when the sun is shining and it's 80 degrees and things are starting to finally get green and flowers are starting to bloom and you're just outside and you just kind of have a song in your heart, right? I remember um, uh, many years ago, Karen and I were uh, in, in Mozambique on a missions trip and in and the guys I was with, part of our team, it was our night to do dishes. And we're doing all these dishes. I mean, there's about 25 people living in this house. And so there's a lot of dishes to do. And, um, and we're in there doing dishes. And I don't remember exactly who started it, but we just start singing hymns in the kitchen as we're doing dishes. You know, we're up to our elbows in soap and grease and grossness. And, but we're all standing in there singing. And it was just this beautiful, holy moment where we're just overwhelmed by what we were doing. That we're here serving the Lord, we're sharing the gospel with people, preaching the word, it's amazing. And, you know, when we gather together on Sunday morning, what do God's Spirit-filled people do? We sing. We sing psalms. You may not know it, but some of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning are based specifically right off of the Psalms. Uh, we sang one today based off of uh, Psalm 18. Uh, we've, if you've ever sung, Create in me a clean heart, O God, that's based off of Psalm 51. We sing psalms. We sing hymns. I love singing hymns. I'd sing hymns every week. But that's just me, okay? I know that doesn't speak to everybody, but it speaks to me. And we sing spiritual songs. Maybe interpret that if you want right next to your Bible choruses, okay? You, we sing those. It's what God's Spirit-filled people do. And there ought to be melody in your heart from the Lord. And... And as that joy fills your heart, you have no taste for any kind of cheap substitute for the joy of Christ. And you know what else happens? According to the Scripture here, you become a thankful person. You thank God for all that He has done and you praise Him for all, that he, all the things in your life as you come to Him through Jesus Christ, our Mediator. And you don't covet what somebody else has. You don't lust for what isn't yours. You see the beauty of what God has done and what He is doing and who He is. And you're just thankful. You're just thankful. Because you can't imagine that the God who made all these things has also loved you and given you all of these blessings. Sometimes I sit around, my, sit around in my house and I don't live in a mansion. It's just a, it's just a normal, ordinary house. But I've got all these magnificent kids. I have the best wife in the world, hands down. I do. Y'all can argue with me later. All right? 
But I do, okay? And I just feel so blessed, so thankful for all that God has done. Because I'll assure you, I could tell you a long list of stories about all of the ways I have been a a scoundrel over the course of my life. And all the time I have wasted doing things I shouldn't have been doing and saying things I shouldn't have said and thinking things I shouldn't have thought. And yet God has been unbelievably good to me. And when you're a Spirit-filled person, you're thankful. And notice, by the way, according to the Scriptures here, this is a Trinitarian act of worship. You thank, you th- you, because you're filled by the Spirit, you give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit and we thank Him for what He's done. You know what else happens? Out of respect for the Lord, we start submitting to one another in our relationships. I'll have a lot more to say about that next week. But the point here is that a spirit-filled person doesn't need to be first, doesn't need to be in charge, because she recognizes or he recognizes that God is over us all. And we submit to him, and we submit in our other relationships too, however that's appropriate for us and we follow God's plan in our relationships so a couple quick questions here as you look at your life are you wise or are you foolish you only got one life to spend are you wise or are you being foolish you only got a limited time And some of you may be saying to me right now, Pastor, as far as I can tell, I've wasted most of it so far. And if that is you, I want to just tell you that if that's the thought you're having, it's because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And He is saying to you one of two things. He is saying either... Yes, you're correct. You have wasted all of it to this point because you do not know me. And you need to know me so that I can work in your life. And He is calling you right now to come into relationship with Him and to put your trust in Jesus Christ and to then experience the new life we're talking about, life filled with the Spirit. If you've never done that, it's, it's simple to do. You simply acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save you. That He died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to offer you new life. And when you put your trust in Him, He gives you the new life He promises. And it is worth staking your eternity on because He will always hold up His end. Always. But it may be that you are a believer and, and, and the Spirit is speaking to you and saying, yep, you've wasted a whole bunch. But if that's true, 
I've got so much encouragement to you. Today is the day to turn around. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day for forgiveness. Today is the day to start again. Walking with Jesus. To experience the filling of the Spirit in a fresh way. Today is that day. Scripture tells us over and over if we will confess, God will cleanse and heal and start us over on the right road. And it is a promise that He keeps. A promise He's kept to me I don't know how many times. And it's a promise He will keep for you too. Don't waste your life. Understand what the will of the Lord is and walk in it. Last, last question here. If you're making disciples, you need to know these things and you need to be able to show them how to do this. You need to be able to say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. Just like Paul did. Can you do that? In order to make disciples, you're going to need to be able to talk to them about how they spend their time. You're going to need to talk to them about the filling of the Spirit. And show them how that works in your life. Can you do that? If not, let's talk. And let's figure out how you can help somebody else understand this and do it. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, you have been unbelievably good to us. We have more blessings, more wonderful intervention from your hand than we even are aware of. And you have lavished your grace on us. We have had it poured over us till the cup overflowed and ran all over us. And Father, we pray that we would be thankful always and for everything that you have done and for who you are. And Father, that none of us would get to the end of our life having wasted it. Let us run at full stretch. Because the, the race feels long, but it's short. And we're going to arrive in your presence sooner than we're ready for. Father, help us not to waste time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.